0: You're listening to Martin Wolfe's podcast from the Financial Times. Stability is the new prudence. In his first budget speech, Alistair Darling used the new watchword 23 times. Prudence, however, never crossed his lips. This is a telling shift. Prudence is a policy. Stability is an aspiration. Having abandoned Gordon Brown's sweetheart, the government hopes for the best. The UK economy should be able to weather the storms ahead, but it would have been far better if the ship were carrying a smaller cargo of fiscal deficits, given the uncertainties, both global and domestic, looming ahead. Mr Darling is Mr Brown, but without the manic energy. His speech contained the usual comparisons with other members of the Group of Seven leading high-income countries today, and with the admittedly dire performance of the Conservatives in the early 1990s. It contained a number of gimmicks for poor children, pensioners, small businesses and the environment. None looks very significant, not least the vaunted policy on climate change. Overall, it was a do-next-to-nothing budget, with net tax increases in 2010-11 to of £1.865 billion, a little over 0.1% of gross domestic product. Mr Darling had no room for manoeuvre, and it showed. Let us be fair before we are tough. The UK is indeed weathering the impact of far higher oil prices vastly better than it did three decades ago. Yet the same is true for most other countries. Equally, the UK is catching up on France and Germany in terms of output per hour worked. GDP per head has gone from 7th in the G7 in the early 1990s to 2nd, as the Chancellor said. He noted, too, that the economy had become the most stable in the G7 and enjoyed lower unemployment than Germany, France and Italy. Yet all this is old news. The question is whether it will still be true five years hence. When one examines the economic and fiscal forecasts, worries start to mount. The Chancellor has lowered his growth forecasts for this year from those presented in the pre-budget report last October, but by very little Forecast growth falls from between two and two and a half percent to between one and three and two and a quarter percent. He expects growth to be between two and quarter percent and two and three quarter percent in 2009, followed by two and a half percent to three percent in 2010. This, if true, will be a mere blip in performance. Yet, despite this trivial downgrade in growth, the budget simply bleeds red ink. The forecast of cumulative public sector net borrowing for the fiscal years 2008-09 to 2011-12 has risen from just £99 billion in the 2006 pre-budget report to £108 billion in the 2007 budget, £120 billion in the 2007 pre-budget report, and £140 billion now. This is an increase of £41 billion or £680 for every person in the UK over just a year and a half of forecasts. For 2008-09 alone, the forecast deficit has jumped from £27 billion, 1.9% of GDP, to £43 billion, or 2.9% of GDP, since the 2006 pre-budget report, one and a half years ago. If the economy should suffer not just a far deeper slowdown than forecast this year, but an enduring loss in potential output, perhaps because of longer-term weakness in housing and the financial sector, the fiscal position could end up far worse. Indeed, given the history of slippages, fiscal outcomes might be worse even if growth came in as now forecast. Now imagine the public sector net borrowing rose to well over 4% of GDP, and the government exceeded its target for net debt of less than 40% of GDP, as it would. Imagine, too, a big decline in sterling and rising fears of inflation. If all this fed through to long-term interest rates, the fiscal position might be quite disturbing. Let us be clear. A situation as dire as that of the early 1990s still seems remote. But prospects are sufficiently bad to worry a prudent Chancellor. But this Chancellor intends to ignore prudence, at least until after the next election. Yet even so, the story he had to tell was very far from cheering. Total managed expenditure is now set to grow slightly more slowly than GDP. Yet the ratio of current fiscal receipts to GDP is set to rise, if modestly, from 39.1% this year to 39.7% in 2011-12. So we have faster growth in taxation than spending. That is certainly unpopular. And so, for Labour supporters at least, is the slow growth in spending itself. Yet this is the combination now on offer. The Chancellor is boxed in even if things go well. He will not want to think about what he might have to do if they go badly. Moreover, the vaunted fiscal rules on which the Government sets such store are in great trouble. The Golden Rule, calling for a balanced current budget over the cycle, has little credibility by now. The net debt rule is within a whisker of being broken and would already be so if Northern Rock were included. Purists might say that none of this matters, since neither rule makes sense. But meeting self-imposed rules, at least in normal circumstances, does matter. Otherwise, promises mean nothing. This then is the big picture. The little picture makes one despair of the ineptitude of supposedly clever budget-making. The Chancellor gives away £550 million in 2008-09 on postponement of higher fuel taxes. He then takes back £550 million in 2010-11 in the removal of the duty differential on biofuels. He imposes a higher tax on gas guzzlers worth £735 million in 2010-11. But the government continues to do everything it can to subsidise home heating, including coercing energy companies to provide special concessions for people using prepayment meters. Yet the best policy is obvious. Increase income transfers to the poor via the budget, while ensuring that a unit of carbon dioxide saved or emitted has the same price throughout the economy. Yet not all the details are bad. I was pleased to see the proposal for auctioning of 100% of emission allowances, if only for energy generators. It was ridiculous, and is ridiculous, to provide such permits free and then complain of windfall profits. I was pleased again that the Government stuck to its guns despite all bleating on taxation of non-DOMs, or at least largely so. I fail to see why the proposed policy, ineptly though it has been introduced, is either a violation of human rights or a disaster to the British economy. I am pleased, too, that the UK is taking a small step towards a less silly capital gains tax regime, with the elimination of the taper relief introduced by Mr Brown. If the price is a raft of new measures for small and medium enterprises, so be it. Yet in the end, what is striking about this budget is the sheer poverty of its ambition. There is no attempt to put the fiscal position on a firmer footing, set out a programme of fiscal reform or take a fresh view of economic policy. Given the dire fiscal position, all this may have been inevitable. It is simply business as usual, the overriding effort being to do as little as possible. Again, given recent blundering, the fiscal inheritance and the uncertain economic prospects, this approach is understandable. But this may be one of those situations in which doing little turns out to be the risky option. Whether that is so will depend on the economy. The Chancellor is reduced to hoping that stability will respond to his calls. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.